Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. You, old lady! Ed Graney. I'm not surprised the only women you see naked are in magazines. Tyler Bischoff. Again, this is really not my field. On ESPN Las Vegas. Back at it! To Thursday, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Ed, Tyler, Jared, no more two-a-day practices. No more joint practices. <laughs> Training camp is over. Is that exciting? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Given the heat. You no longer the, have to stand outside. And the vantage points. Well. What's the what's the point of an indoor facility if you're going to practice outside? When well, it's with hot? two teams, it would have been a little hard. But. <sighs> But they've been doing it with one team. They've the been whole, doing it with one team. Two would have been a little tough. Um, go inside. They play inside. They don't play. It doesn't look like they have to adjust to the heat. They play inside. Yeah, practice is different. Practice is different with drills and everything. That's, I know, that's I, why I, they never opened the the lanai doors. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly we practice the inside. They I mean, don't practice inside though. Uh, yeah. So practice training camp's over. So now it just becomes you can watch like the ten minutes of stretching and then that's it. Off the field. Off the field. Go I'm going gonna, gonna to start complaining about this all year. Why do they practice outside? I think because they have three fields. Should have built three fields inside. <laughs> well, they didn't. So, <laughs> Did they know how hot it was before they moved here? That's uh, you're, 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 you're reaching here. You got you got you no, to have I'm going to do an in-depth space. study into you, the temperature at every game they play this year to find out how many games they're going to play at above 90-degree weather because it's going to be less than two. Do you think that they only water on Thursdays? At Allegiant well, Stadium. Well, Allegiant Stadium, do. I don't know if they water at all. <laughs> <laughs> given uh given the grass situation. They're gonna resod. That's gonna be beautiful when the uh when Arizona comes here for the uh home opener. Oh, it's gonna be a beautiful a month from now. It's too. gonna look spectacular. Gonna look Ignore spectacular. the two football games that are gonna be yeah. played there this weekend on it. One month, it'll look great. Yeah, it will. Tyler's fired up this morning. Why not? I'm You're Mr. Back. P- I'm Mr. Positive. You're back. I'm excited. Yeah, the show is better when you're actually here. <laughs> the first bite. That's no disrespect to Adam Candy. Should the Raiders cut Alex Leatherwood? So I saw this in Benny Bonsignor yesterday. He wrote a story about what the options are for Alex Leatherwood. Cutting him, uh, trading him, keeping him. I can only say this, whether it's a bad contract for others, whether it's, you know, DeMarcus Robinson not playing well, uh, whether it's Alex Leatherwood with no real loyalty to him because they didn't draft him. I do think, and I do believe at this point, their their statement that if you're not one of the best players, we're either going to get rid of you or you not play you is true because I just don't think they care. I don't think they care. I think they're going to play the guys they think are the best players, and he's not one of the best players right now. Uh, They would be... Dumb to cut him. Like, it would be just a dumb move if they cut Alex Otherwood, simply based on the salary cap situation. Because if Alex Leatherwood is on the roster this season, his cap hit is only $3.2 million, right? He's a former first-round pick last summer, right? But if they cut Alex Leatherwood, he would have a $7.8 million dead cap hit this season. They would more than double his cap hit if they got rid of him. And if they cut him now, he would still have a $3.9 million cap hit next season. So you're taking on $11 million of cap hit over the next two years if you cut him right now. 
And the question to me becomes, sure, you want to say you take the best player and you're going to get rid of the guys that aren't, and it's this completely uh, merit-based, meritocracy, right? But that's not accurate because there is no way that you can argue to me that whoever it is, Bayer Munford, Brandon Parker, Jermaine Eleanor, is $11 million better than Brandon Parker or than uh, Alex, Alex Leatherwood. You just you cannot argue that to me because you're going to double his cap hit next year and take on more dead cap next season. That is two years of punishment if you get rid of him right now. So you move him to guard and hope for the best. I, that's what I would do. I would He would play inside, and he would be a backup, right? But he's going to be on the roster because if you cut him right now, it's just too big of a punishment. And it would be one thing if the decision was between Alex Leatherwood and a proven, actually good right tackle. But that's not what they have. They have been they don't rotating, have any of those. Right. They've been rotating through backups at the position. So you can't tell me that you're going to keep whoever it is, Thayer Munford or uh, Jermaine Eleanor over Alex Leatherwood and take on that cap hit. It just doesn't make sense yeah. because here's the other part. We've talked about it the whole offseason. When are they going to add somebody to the offensive line? When's that going to happen? They've got this cap space, right? You cut Alex Leatherwood. You just lopped off almost $5 million in cap space. Now, they've got 20-something, so you can still conceivably go out and add some players, but you're just throwing away cap space in a year that you're trying to win, and that, to me, would be stupid. Like, that would be really dumb if that's where the way they went. And, again, because they're choosing Thayer Munford over Alex Leatherwood, right? There's not a big enough difference between Thayer Munford and Alex Leatherwood to justify $11 million in dead cap over two years. He wouldn't give you anything on a trade. And that, that's the thing. Conditional like, seventh. Like I was going to say, conditional seventh. It's the conditional seventh realm. <laughs> like, Vinny wrote the possibility of a trade. I cannot imagine another team trading for Alex. I just, I can't Conditional do it. seventh? Not, because here you're giving up a conditional seventh, and then you're paying the guy. And he's still on his rookie contract. He's there's, still owed. There's three years left on this rookie contract. I think he's, he was guaranteed like 14 yeah. coming in. Like, so it's not just, oh, you have to give up an asset. And even if you throw the conditional tag on it, right? Like he's got to play so many snaps or whatever. But you got to pay this guy for three more seasons. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly not good. I cannot imagine they find a trade partner yeah. for Alex Otherwood. So to me, it's either you keep him on the roster or you cut him. And cutting him would be a horrible move for the cap. Now, that being said, they just made a horrible move with the cap with Kenyon Drake, right? Earlier this offseason, they added some void years, restructured his deal so that he had his cap hit got spread out instead of being just this year. Kenyon Drake's got a $4 million cap hit next season. And then they still cut the guy. They still got rid of Kenyon Drake. That was a bad cap move. So maybe they'll do it again with Leatherwood. But I just, to me, that just seems dumb. Like, it seems legitimately dumb if that's what they did. And, like, how bad would Leatherwood have to be for them to do that? He's been pretty bad. I, but, He's yes. been pretty bad. But, like, have any of the other tackles been good? Better than him. Significantly? He's been pretty bad. <laughs> I, I would move him, with all the cap situation, you move him to guard and you see if he can play inside. Like yeah. you said, he'd be a backup, but obviously I think that's where he should play in the NFL. He yeah. just he just is not a, he's just not a tackle in the NFL. I mean, and again, everyone's going to say, well, it's only his second season. I think we've seen enough. Right. If there's no progress in camp, then you're probably not actually getting a good tackle out of this. You're not getting an average NFL tackle out of this at any point. Like, I mean... We've seen it in the preseason game. 
The guy has not been good in no. preseason against backups for the most part. The guy has not been good. So there's, I don't think there's much hope that he's going to actually be anything other than, oh, God, he's got to go in on special teams and or when we lose two guys to injury on the uh, starting offensive line. But otherwise, like, it's just such a severe cap penalty that, to me, cutting him would be, I, it just wouldn't make sense. Just would not make sense at all, especially when you haven't spent the money to go find your starting right tackle. They haven't done anything right. in terms of that. If you told, like, if you told me that, hey, today or tomorrow, the Raiders have signed a guy to come start at right tackle, and maybe they've added one other player, and Tama can sue. Uh, and then they said, okay, we've still got $10 million in cap space. We can afford to cut Alex Leatherwood and take the dead cap at this year. Then I'd say, okay, but until they've actually got a starting right tackle in here, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because what else are you doing? You're just going to burn that dead cap space with Alex Leatherwood by cutting him. Uh, I think Brandon Parker should be the guy, but Brandon Har- Parker, I think, is hurt more than they're saying. It hasn't yeah, done... it doesn't feel like he's going to be ready for week one, no, right? No, 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 not at all. So... Yeah, and so then you turn to Thayer Munford. Is he no, healthy? I think Jermaine, Jermaine Elamore would I think be the Elamore starter. I think would start. I think Jermaine Elamore starts. If they had a game today, I think he starts at right tackle. So Thayer Munford's been hurt too. Yeah, like you've got they've gone through four different potential starting right tackles right in training camp. Leatherwood has not been good. Parker got hurt. Munford got hurt. He's and hurt. Now it's Jermaine Elamore. So. They basically haven't. I think part of what Josh McDaniels wanted to happen was, hey, we've got a collection of guys who haven't really proven that they're any good, but we hope that in training camp, one of them seizes the job. One of them steps up and it looks like an average right tackle in the NFL, and none of them have done that. I mean, Parker got hurt and Munford got hurt, so it's a little unfair, but none of them have actually stepped up and seized that job. No, because that's why we've been waiting around for them to sign a right tackle. Right, which makes it feel like they should go sign a tackle. And, like, here's the thing. We, we've talked about, hey, players are going to get cut. There'll be more options the closer you get to the season. The Cowboys' left tackle this year just got ruled out until oh, he's at least out December. For December. And yeah. so the whole idea that, oh, there'll be more players available, there's probably going to be more teams that are trying to get a tackle as right. well. So the idea that, oh, they're just going to swoop in and grab somebody – what if the Cowboys outbid him? I don't know what their cap space situation is, but what if the Cowboys come in and say, hey, we need you right now, and here's a million more than the Raiders were giving you? Like, it's no guarantee they're just swooping in and finding their starting right tackle. Like, it could... There's a... It's August 25th? Are they are they starting Jermaine Elamanor at right tackle in week yes. one against the Chargers? Yes. Like, that's a real thing right now, that Jermaine Elamanor is a starting yes. right tackle for this team when... Who's completely underachieved... Uh... To his own admittance, yeah, his entire career. Like it's just there's. Uh, if I'm Derek and, Carr, I'm a little worried. If I'm Derek Carr, I'm calling free agents and being like, "Hey, man, uh, you want to come to the Raiders? Like, uh, Derek, you Carr's, can play. You can start right away. Right. We got to get McDaniel's to actually realize this whole right tackle thing's not working out very well. But that's what I'm doing. If I'm Derek Carr, get on the phone. The best way to get a job is literally just by default. It's the greatest. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Just everybody else keeps screwing up, and you're just like, I guess I'm available. Uh, That's how I, I got this job. I need to ask you this, Ed. Is Mac Hollins the best? He's the best. He's one of the best interviews because because yes. he's got a mile. This tweet from he Paul, has a mile from Paul Gutierrez. I have a lot of animals, so I want to own my own zoo. Having a fish <laughs> tank, I can swim in. Yeah, that's a big goal of mine. 
I want to learn how to fly planes. Yeah, he also wants to be a professional skydiver. Um, Mac Hollins is incredible. Yeah. Why is this guy playing football? I don't know. You're wasting you your gotta, time. You got to fund your... You I gotta, guess so. Yeah, you got to fund your <laughs> hobby somehow. <laughs> I want to have a fish tank that I can swim in. That's a and that's a big goal of his. That's just not it's called like, the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> that's not just like oh, he's thinking about oh, what would be cool. He's got like a list at home of life goals. Well, he's had he's had I think a lion when he was growing up. He had a bunch of uh, a bunch of animals, uh, or he was around a bunch of animals, and he said it was always his dream to have a full zoo. So I mean, one day mm-hmm. you got like Jared said, you got enough money, you make enough money in the NFL. That could be you run a few miles, you go home and you feed the, the lion. You have a heck of a life. If I mean, if the movie We Bought a Zoo is any indication, it's not very good. <laughs> uh, right by the Raiders practice facility, there's that lion habitat thing. Have you seen that? Yes. He's got to go over he there. Go over there and hang out with the lions. I, I've been there before. They have giraffes there, too. Oh, he'd love that. Yeah, there's a bunch of animals. In That's there. The giraffes paint things, and you can buy the giraffes paintings. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, I know what I'm getting him for his <laughs> wedding gift. <laughs> All right, coming up next, the Golden Knights signed Phil Kessel to save the season. Gets the puck out high and sends a pass toward Kessel, left side of the crease, but it was angled away. Chikrin shoots, redirect, score! Beautiful redirection from Phil Kessel. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. The Golden Knights are going to win the Stanley Cup, right? They signed Phil Kessel. One year deal, one point five million dollars. Come, Come on, you're not excited about Phil Kessel? Not excited about Phil Kessel's age. Oh, he's only thirty five. We're gonna be thirty five. He's still thirty four. We spend a lot of time on this show saying how guys thirty two might be done. Oh no, he's, he's got plenty left in the tank. Come, Come on, on. Had a massive eight goals last year. He's a superstar. He's, he's the break, answer to the offense. He's going to break the record for most consecutive games played. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Iron Which, Man. To be fair, Iron Man. Given all the injuries they had last no, year. No, he's that he, might be a big deal. That, he goes right to the top of the list in that realm. <laughs> yeah, that was a huge part of well, he doesn't get hurt. <laughs> all right. Let me uh let me give you two opinions that kind of contradict myself. Uh first off, I do not think Phil Kessel makes a difference for the Golden Knights. I don't think he changes much of anything for their chances to win the cup, win the division, hell, even be a playoff team, right? He's gonna be thirty five in October. He's coming off his worst career season with eight goals. He posted his worst career expected goals rate, his second worst Corsi rate of his career. The Coyotes, who were already bad, were better by expected goals in Corsi when he was off the ice last year. They were a worse team with Phil Kessel on the ice. There are clear signs that he is done, right? There are clear signs that Phil Kessel, at 35 years old, is not going to produce anything that's going to be a positive, right? He's not good defensively, didn't score a lot of goals last year. He's 35. I do not think Phil Kessel does anything to actually impact the Golden Knights' chances of winning the division or making the playoffs or anything like that. But I do like the signing for the Golden Knights simply because there's not much risk here. There's almost no risk at all. It's a one-year deal for $1.5 He's not making anything. There's no long-term risk. Right. And short term, you burn one point five million of cap space if this guy's not any good. Right. If he's awful, he's gone after this year. You wasted a million and a half in the cap this season. This is a player, though, that a 
has played a lot of games, right? Going to break the streak most likely for most consecutive games played for a team that needs bodies, needs healthy bodies, especially forwards. And if you look hard enough, you can talk yourself into Phil Kessel being a decent player, right? He's only a year removed from 20 goals in 56 games in the shortened season, right? So he had 20 and 56 two years ago, last year, eight and 82. So he just scored 20 and 56 when he was 32 years old. That's not too far away. If he's on a line with a Jack Eichel or a William Carlson as a center, that could be enough to boost his number. So the upside of Phil Kessel at 1.5 million for one year is like 15 goals, right? 40 assists. He had 40 assists last year. 15 goals, 40 assists, and playing in a position where the Golden Knights have the most need, have the least depth on the wing. So while I don't actually think he's going to make a difference, the upside of Phil Kessel is pretty high for somebody. Well, that the upside is he can really can't really hurt them. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, you can't really hurt them. Right. I don't know how much he can help them. So I, my two differing opinions are. I don't think it matters at all that they signed Phil Kessel. I don't think he's helping them in any oh, significant you're not, way. You're not following Twitter last night, no. man. Oh, 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 oh. But I don't. I I think it's a good signing by the Golden Knights simply because there's there's no risk involved at all in adding Phil Kessel to this roster. Just there's, there's just none. He's not stealing playing time from a better player, right? He's going to be stealing playing time from Brett Howden, Michael Amadio, like congratulations like that's the only real downside would be if they had some better winger that Phil Kessel was going to play over but that's not the case they don't have good forward depth and Phil Kessel not that he's going to be great this year adds to their sort of hey maybe that guy could have a good season group of players. right so let's go let's go on the lines Eichel Stone and so Kessel well the problem with Phil Kessel and i need somebody who's watched more coyotes in the last couple of years to tell me this. I think he's only played right wing, which well, that's is not where, good for the top, which line. is where Mark Stone, Mark Stone plays, plays and Riley Smith plays. Right. And he's not better than either of those two. I, somebody would have to tell me if he's played left wing a significant amount. Cause if he has, he could play left wing with stone and Eichel. He could play left wing with Carlson and, and Smith. Smith, right? It could be whatever you want to do there. If he's only a right winger, I would guess he's the third line right winger. And it's like, Nick Waugh with Phil Kessel on one side and who the hell knows on the other side. Will Carrier? I don't know. Jake LeCision, Michael Amadio, somebody like that. Be careful with LeCision. But if he's if he's only a right winger, he's a third line right winger, probably playing with Nick Waugh or Chandler Stevenson, depending on if Well, then I the think his stature goes even down even more. Right. I mean, it's a $1.5 million player. So that would be my guess. Now, Stone gets hurt. Smith gets hurt. They miss... A week, a month, an entire season. Well, you know Philly will be around because he doesn't get hurt. He's a top six winger at that point. But if he's only a right winger, he's a third liner. If he can play left wing, he might be on be the top first liner. Line. He might be. I mean, that's that's a possibility. So you're not breaking up the misfits. I, uh, I don't. What do you think Cassidy does? Because I think he breaks them up. Yeah, like obviously Gerard Gallant was here, and that eventually didn't start that way. But that eventually became their best line in year one, and Gallant stuck with them. DeBoer, there were times when they broke him up, often because either they were playing poorly or they were hurt. But DeBoer kind of stuck to it for the most part. That wasn't a line he created, but he kept them together. Now you're on to the third coach. Those three are still here. I doubt he has any loyalty to them. 
And no, he's uh, so he's Dave Ziggler to the Raiders. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised. Drafted. Like, because if you if you put out what's the best line the Golden Knights can put out on the ice, it's Marsha So, Eichel, and Stone. So if Bruce Cassidy comes in and says, I want to put out the best possible line as my top line, he's breaking him up. Well, then that's fine to so. put the Phil Kessel there on right. the second line. Now, if he comes in and is like, okay, I want to have a little bit of balance, he might keep them together. If he comes in and says, I want a lot of balance, then like William Carlson's a third line center, Marcheseau's a first line winger, and Smith's a second line winger. Right. And then they're on three different lines. So I don't, I have no idea what Bruce Cassidy is going to do. I My... My guess would be he does go for the best possible top line, which would mean Marsh Stone, which would mean they're broken up. But you could convince me that that's not the best way to go about it, given they don't have a lot of depth and you want to have more than one line that actually produces goals. So you could have William Carlson as your third-line center. Yeah, I mean, I, Nick Waugh and Chandler Stevenson are good enough that if you were trying to sort of spread the depth through the lineup, they can be the second-line center with Riley Smith and... Phil Kessel? Yeah, if he can play on the left, maybe. But like, yeah, absolutely. They they could be your third. Your if you did that, your second and third lines are kind of playing as much as each other, right? There's not going to be a big difference between your second and third line. So if you're spreading out the the talent through the lineup, sure, you could put William Carlson as your third line center, but they play just as much as the second line. I just keep saying put him on the fourth line because well, that's the line you're not going to play at all. He doesn't like, score. Neither. <laughs> He's going to be like the third leading goal scorer on this team with 10. Yeah, that's the problem. Bill Castle's going to score nine and have like the fourth most goals on the team. I mean, 40 assists. I don't know if that happens again. I think he had 20 on the power play last year. Well, okay, hold on. You buried the lead. <laughs> you buried the lead well, on no, that one. Here's the problem. He had 20 assists on the power play. The Golden Knights don't have the people that put it in the net on, on the, the power, power play. play. So he's going to make some good passes to some wide open guys. They're not scoring. I mean, if they if they would score hockey games like a boxing match where it's landed like pucks <laughs> on the goalie, then the Golden Knights would be the best in like the world. Power play would have been fine last year. So yeah. I've never seen a team just literally like so aim for the chest. If power punches were taken as as uh, as goals. Yeah. And uh, you got the compu box. And afterwards, they landed more punches than yeah. everyone. They would have been good. Yeah. Um, is Phil Kessel going to be on the top power play unit? Well, Eichel, Stone. Marcheseau. Marcheseau. I think not, no. Carlson or Smith probably right. is there. And then one defenseman. Petrangelo or Theodore. They, they could technically probably go two defensemen. It might be better than whatever forward. Petrangelo and Theodore. Yeah, they could potentially do that. But yeah, so he'll probably be on a second power play unit. God, their second power play unit's going to be ugly. That's going to be like Phil Kessel, Keegan Colasar, Riley Smith, Keegan, Keegan Colasar, Nick Waugh, and Shea Theodore. And, yeah, and Shea Theodore. Oh, if, it's one, if it's one defenseman, it's Shea Theodore. Or Petrangelo and Theodore's on the top one. That's, God, that's atrocious. Just play the first one for two minutes. <laughs> Let them die out there. <laughs> oh, their second power play unit's going to be gross this year. Play all the defensemen. Don't even play the forwards. Just play all the defensemen. Let Nick Hague just stand out Zach there. Zach Whitecloud. Yeah, they're probably better than Keegan Colasar. Keegan Colasar, he's really going to be on the first power play unit, or second power play unit. That's yeah. a legitimate yeah. Nick Waugh I think he was. Colasar. I think he was last well, year. Well, the entire team was. I mean, last was, year, was, uh, everyone yeah. was hurt. Yeah. He might have been on the first, the <laughs> first one for, for a little while. <laughs> I mean, everyone is hurt, so that's that makes it different. But yeah. My God. Uh, Imagine the power play unit if they have two forward injuries. He will, Keegan uh, Colasar will Keegan be, on the, would be on the first line. Alec Martinez, if they play two defensemen on the top on the top unit, they have 
Alec Martinez, Phil Kessel, and just like a pair of walkers. Yeah. Martinez will be blocking the shots of his teammates on the power play. He'll be like, isn't this what I'm supposed to do? All right. Coming up next, Lincoln Kennedy joins the show. Failure is putting a label on something that's not the process. So, like you just said, we're just trying to focus on the process and not the result. And failure would be considered a result. So, we're just trying to work through it all. And, you know, we don't need to overcomplicate it. Football, and it's a simple game if you, if you make it a simple game. So, we're all trying to get there. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Joining us now, former Raiders offensive lineman Lincoln Kennedy. You can hear him on game days over on Raider Nation Radio calling the action with Jason Horowitz. Good morning, Lincoln. Hi, How Lincoln. are you today? Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Um, so let's start with Alex Otherwood, and I'm curious from the year-plus training camp that you have seen from him, what do you think like his biggest issue is? What's been the biggest problem for Alex Otherwood in the NFL? He gets down on himself too much when he makes a mistake or he gets beat. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, the, the thing is, is that you've got to be, you've got to have a certain mental fortitude to play any type of competitive sports, obviously, not just football, because you've got to understand the people that you're playing against, there's a reason why they're there. It's not like they just picked them off, off, off the street. You're not going to dominate and control every play every situation, every scenario, there are times that you're going to get beat. So the best thing to do as a professional especially, because now you're getting paid lots of money to do it, is to learn from your mistakes and move forward. Don't dwell on them. And that's been one of the things that Alex has had some issues with. Would you put him inside and say, let's just deal with it inside and see how you do there? Well, no, because there's, there's still a big hole at tackle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it, it, you're not... You're not necessarily, you know, masking the problem because he last year struggled a little bit inside with his hand placement and re- lack of replacement um, as well. He had a number of penalties, so it's not necessarily you're doing yourself any better. And let's not forget, you know, uh, uh, John Simpson and Lester Cotton Jr. are, are doing, you know, pretty well in, in, for their respected right. positions holding up guard. So they don't necessarily need to be moved. I'm curious on the idea that, like, if you're a teammate of Alex Leatherwood and you see that he gets down on himself too much, he's too hard on himself after a mistake, like, what should you do? I don't know if you dealt with that specifically with a teammate. Like, what should the reaction be from his teammates if they see that from Alex Leatherwood? Well, there should always be support. I mean, that's why they're your teammates. And, and I'm, I'm sure that that's there, though it might not necessarily have been prevalent or seen a lot of. But the, the thing is, is that, you know, whether you're an older guy or a younger guy or just a teammate in general, you want to support your other teammates, especially when you know you're struggling. Uh, with all that being said, it has to be apparent to the, to the, to the people around him that this is what he suffers from uh, and, and it has, a, has an issue with. And, look, to be fair, they didn't necessarily see it on the college campus when he was at Alabama, um, and of course he played uh, just about every position on the offensive line during his time at Alabama, except for center. Um, no one, no one recognized the the, the this sort of mental uh, uh, issue that uh, that is plaguing him somewhat, in my opinion. Uh, Dave Ziegler and uh, Josh McDaniel said in the very beginning, it's about compete. They don't care, you know, what the resume says. We've seen a few guys cut that maybe people raised their eyes out and said, really, they they, they moved on from him. Uh, but it does seem like they are following their edict in terms of it's going to be open competition and the best people will play. Given a couple of names that have already been cut, is that, you know, and, and people can talk about the cap and the dead cap and how it might hurt them, but is that what you see from them? And, and what do you think about that? Whenever you have a new regime take over a team, you have to realize that everything that happened before they got there, they're not necessarily loyal to. 
And it in these days, it's not about as much as it once was the salary cap dollars or the dead money. I mean, that does play into the deciding factor. But at the same point, if you're a new coaching staff and a new general manager, you want to put your name on a hook that you helped build, not necessarily was built by somebody else. Because if, if that team has success and you don't make any changes, people will sit there and say, well, that wasn't their team. That was the team before. That's the team that Gruden had. So, you know, it's one of those things where you do, you're damned if you do, damned if you're not. So, in my opinion, I, I, I see it as it's supposed to be that way. I never took for granted as a player that my position was uh, secure. Even when a new coaching staff came in, I felt that I always have to earn it. But I was, I was an, an arrogant in a way to where I said, I'm not going to let anybody take my position from me. So, you know, that's, that's the competitive edge that I dwell with inside me. I think the same thing goes when you're making decisions from a coaching staff as well as from a general manager. So the Raiders have tried out, I think it's four different guys at right tackle throughout training camp, and a couple of them are hurt in Brandon Parker and Thayer Munford right now. But those two, Jermaine Elamanor, Alex Otherwood, have any of those four jumped out that if they're all healthy that you think should be the starter at right tackle? I still think there's a chance for Alex Leatherwood. I, I think that there's potential, and there's ways within this offense, I know this offense pretty well, that can help protect him and help him build confidence. It's going to be up to the coaching staff to do that. But, um, you know, right now I, I think the bigger you know, sort of uh, um, uh, blemish that needs to be created is the swing tackle, who's going to be that third tackle in case, you know, Colton Miller or if Alex Lillard was a starter goes down, who's going to step in. I think they have to build depth because I think that's going to be important throughout the year. It, it blows my mind that, you know, guys like Brandon Parker and Munford had hurt themselves. It wasn't in the game. It was in practice. I mean, these guys are getting hurt left and right, and it just it, it, it kills me to see that, you know, they can't even get through a, a two-week training camp. If Waller comes back uh, healthy, and uh, apparently there's an injury there, uh, how dynamic can this offense be? Is everyone overestimating it, or is it can it be as dynamic as everyone says so? I think the sky's the limit. If you look back at past when Josh McDaniel was the offense coordinator in New England, you look at what he was able to do with Gronk, you look what he was to do with you know uh, other receivers like Amendola, Wes Walker, and all those guys out of the slot. When you talk about a tight end, you've got a good one in Darren Waller. You talk about a slot receiver, you've got a good one in Hunter Renfro. And, oh, 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 there's an added caveat that you got Devontae Adams. Well, remember when Randy Moss was on the Patriots? Remember how many touchdowns he caught? I mean, Wes Welker that year led the team in receptions and yards. But Randy Moss, I think, had a you know, sort of a record-breaking year for him as far as touchdowns per season. So there's, the potential is there. And Derek Carr is a smart and savvy enough quarterback to where he'll know to get rid of the football. He'll have options, whether it's checkdowns with his backs, that's why throwing out of the backfield is so important out of this offense or just getting rid of it. So they've got a ton of options, a ton of opportunities in offense. The offense can truly be dynamic if they're able to, uh, you know, just uh, either secure that offensive line or just make it, you know, at least, you know, half as, half as good as it needs to be. We haven't seen Carr and a handful of others play in the preseason. Seems unlikely they'll play in the last preseason game. When you were playing, did you ever feel the need or want to play in preseason games? Did you feel like that was necessary to get ready for the season? Yes, but my desire was a little different. My desire, especially when it came to games, if my quarterback, because I was a starter, if my starting quarterback was out there, I needed to be out there. That's the way I felt. Uh, I felt that I, I'm better suited to try to protect him out there rather than the sideline. I do believe that there's a certain callus that you build up when you play. And the only way that you can get better playing football is by playing football. It's not necessarily duplicated in, in practice. Um, you can get a little bit out of it when you're going team-on-team -team practices, which you see a lot of clubs are doing these days. But for the most part, and don't get me wrong, preseason football is not the speed of regular season football. 
but at least it gets you started. I've always felt that you're not going to get better. Uh, you're not going to be a better football player doing PX90 training year-round. Have you ever, excuse me, have you been able to, without Max, without Chandler, without a lot of guys playing defensively, figured out what they're going to do under Patrick Graham there? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> they, and the reason why is I think Patrick Graham and, his, and the defensive staff has done a lot of that just sort of throwing off the track of what they're going to do. You know, you see a lot of teams these days that classify their defense as a 3-4. Well, it's not a true 3-4. It's more of a hybrid because you're going to have four guys rushing. You just don't know where they are. But it, it still seems baffling to me, and I just have to see it work. I mean, I've seen it in practice, but I need to see it work in a game-time situation where you're going to ask Max Crawford to drop in a flat as an outside linebacker or cover a running back out of the backfield. Chandler Jones has done it, but Max Crosby hasn't. It's, and I'm not saying that he can't. I'm just saying it's going to be a little bit different. And if that's, if that's not the case, then the things you have to worry about is protecting those inside linebackers because most people know that a power running game is really something that is a nemesis on a 3-4 defense. Did you uh, Were there joint practices back when you played? Yes. We practiced against the Cowboys a couple of years, neutral sites. Um, I think that was mainly it as far as team versus team practices before our preseason games with them. Many fights when Many, you guys yeah. did that? Of course. Okay. It gets yeah. hot. It gets testy <laughs> out there. You, you know, if you're a big guy, like, I'm going to start a fight on this next play. Everybody jump in. We'll get a break. <laughs> so, And then more times than not, if there was enough fights, the coaches would just call practice and say, you know, go your separate <laughs> ways. And, you know, you get, the, you get it over that, well, that way. But, of course. Well, he is Lincoln Kennedy. Again, you can hear him on game day with Jason Horowitz over on Raider Nation Radio calling the games. Lincoln, we appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Lincoln. Pleasure's mine. Be, be well, guys. Take Talk care. to you soon. So there is Lincoln Kennedy on the Raiders offensive line. Probably the best actual information breakdown on the offensive line that we're going to get. Yeah. So we, Jared, we should probably have him on regularly since the offensive line will be a major talking point one way or another. Either the offensive line is good and the Raiders and like, are shocked. win the division because of it or the offensive line is bad and they like win six games because of it. So one way or the other, Lincoln Kennedy will be a good guest to have on. That was good. All right. Take a break. Coming up next, John Gruden. We got more email situations. Can you look around facilities like this and, and, and then oh, you have oh, back to Man, this is magnificent. <laughs> been a lot of good facilities. There have been some amazing college facilities, but I don't put this up there against any of them. This is, this, I mean, forget about the amenities. It was just the fields, the weight room, the offices, the indoor facility, the proximity. The ease of everything, um, yeah, this is this is as good as any I've seen. Better than any I've seen. Not as good. It's better than anything I've seen. So it's it's, it's outstanding. It's great. it's great for us to be able to work here. It's you know ideal working conditions. So we'll walk right in off the field, lift, you know, get um, refueled and hydrate and all their you know their uh, stations right there in the weight room. It's, it's set up good. We're only you know a mile away, whatever it is. So it's an easy transition from getting dressed, getting taped, getting ready to go, come over here, get off the bus, get ready to practice. So that's great. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. That was Bill Belichick complimenting the uh, Raiders practice facility. Taj Mahal. Uh, with Taj Mahal. By the way, makes me think, do the Patriots like practice in a shed? <laughs> Seven, seven, there's six Super Bowls and they have no facilities. Because he was going on and on about like the field 
The how, weight room. How close the weight room is to the, <laughs> the field. Fields. We can get taped up and walk right on the field. I'm like, what are the Patriots doing? Do you have to like drive a mile to get taped up and then come back to the they field? They have to take the MTA. <laughs> they have to take a train across yeah. town. Interesting enough, when you do see, this is a little weird, when you do see those preseason or OTAs or preseason practices, I remember like shots of Brady. They appear to be walking a far away. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it wasn't like like they they kept walking. I'm like, oh, that they, that must the facility must be a little farther away. Because he wasn't he wasn't blown away by any of like how nice the building was or any like cool things they had in the building. He was amazed that the weight room was so close yes. to the field. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that that just seems normal. That just tunnel seems vision, like good planning. Tunnel vision, bell check. Right. That just seems like good planning, and he doesn't have that. I don't know. I, I just enjoy the fact that there are t- basically two subjects that you can get him to give you a long answer on kicking in general <laughs> and apparently like efficiency of football stuff. <laughs> like we need to be able to lift weights right after we get off the field. I'm guessing did they did you know did the Patriots stay at the M? Yes. Okay. So he loved that they stayed at the M. They got on a bus, drove a mile, 6 minutes. Right. Down St. Rose, got to this facility, and then his players could walk straight in to get taped up, straight onto the field, yeah. and then right into the weight room, and right over to some hydration center, and then back on the bus to the air. That's what he loved about it. They could have had, again, they could have had a shed instead of the actual building, but if everything was close together, he would have been like, this is great, guys. Taj Mahal, he said. <laughs> I just love what he's uh, infatuated with. All right. Forget about John Gooden for a second. We got a more important story here. Um the South Carolina Gamecocks, uh, according to a newspaper there, uh, the Statesman, um, they are going to change the name of their live mascot. They have an actual live rooster mascot. His name is Sir Big Spur, but they're changing that. And these are some of the possible options. Some of these are kind of standard. Some of these are phenomenal. This is their mascot on the field. I don't know if the live mascot's on the sideline. I can't ever recall watching a South Carolina game and seeing them show a rooster on the sideline. So I don't know exactly where he is. I also don't claim to watch a lot of South Carolina football. But these are some potential new nicknames for the live mascot. Some boring ones like General, right, or Coop. But then you get some fun ones or stupid ones. Like General Sal's uh, chicken. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like Kickin' Chicken. Yeah. Brewster, Marco Pollo, I think that's my favorite, Cockadoodle Dude, <laughs> Mr. Chicken Scratch, I don't like that, Cluck Norris, Captain Cluck, or Cock Commander. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, I don't. Do you like Marco Polo? I think Marco Pollo is my favorite. Because it's Pollo, it's chicken, it's not Polo. Do you think that'll play well in the market? Probably not. Probably not. Um, can you really name a mascot cock commander? They sell hats. That just... I know they do, but it's the mascot. Why not? Like the, I guess a I'll live tell you what, rooster... if they put that out for a newspaper poll, I think that would lead it. <laughs> I think that would lead it. I mean, I mean, I could put up a poll right now. We could get the results. <laughs> would you call, would you be comfortable calling a mascot cock commander? <laughs> well, okay. Here's the the general idea of mascots is it's a connection point for kids to a team. Mm-hmm. Right. 
but this is a live rooster. I don't think that's the point of this mascot. Like, I don't think many kids are like, ooh, the live rooster. Let me go get a picture with the live rooster and fist bump him or whatever you do with mascots. There's, I, I just I, can't imagine that. But, so, like, the, the whole idea of the mascots is a touch point for kids to the team. Right. You can't be like, hey, five-year-old son, let's go meet Cock Commander. Or Cock-a-doodle-dude. Well, you can do Cock-a-doodle-dude. Dude. Because that's just Cock-a-doodle-doo with a dude on the end. Do you but, think that he's going to be confused? Like, they'll be calling, they'll be like, come on, Cock Commander, and he'll be like, who, who is that? That's not my name. I don't think You've roosters never... are that smart. They're just mean. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should, so if they, you have a live, if you have a live mascot, it has to fight the other team's live mascot. I was going to say, so they have this rooster on the sideline? I don't know. Cage? I haven't I seen mean... him on the sidelines before. We're going to have to watch for Cock Commander on the sidelines well, this season. Like the Bulldog. You see the Bulldog right. coming out. You there. see Bevo at Texas. They got a right. damn Longhorn. You see uh, Traveler at USC. You see yeah. the uh, horse at USC come out. LSU does not roll their tiger up onto the sideline. <laughs> I <laughs> okay, I think, I think LSU would probably lead the power rankings. Probably followed by Georgia. I'm pretty sure they keep him sedated, so it depends on how sedated he is when this fight takes place. Still a tiger. Yeah, yeah, but like the Bevo tried to kill Georgia's mascot that one year. Yeah. Almost uh, got his horn up into his belly. Impaled him. That's the word I'm trying to think Okay, so, all right, so then, okay, we go tiger and then then steer? I think so. I mean, well, Colorado's got a buffalo that runs on the field. Oh, that's right. And that thing is definitely not sedated because yes. it'll drag people. Yes. So maybe buffalo. Why do we still do this? I don't know. It's college <laughs> football. It's like, imagine peering in on Earth from outer space and being like, so what are they doing? A buffalo runs a lap around this field <laughs> with, and then they with hit with each people? other? And this is academics? Yeah. <laughs> this is a school? By the way, never asked you the other day when I went home and told the story. One of the main questions, obviously, from the wife is what they named the bulldog. Oh, we're left his name Tyson, the name that he had. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. Also, although, a great name for a chicken. Although we just found out uh, because he's microchipped, yes. the first microchip yes. name associated with him was not Tyson, it was Cosmo. So now we might be calling him Cosmo. We haven't made that decision, I guess, okay. yet. All right. I like Cosmo better than Tyson. I like Cosmo. He also doesn't respond to either of them, so I don't <laughs> think it matters. <laughs> I have a. My parents have a cat. They call kitten. It's a good name. It's a good name. You remember um, it? Yeah. For anybody that is unaware, I adopted a bulldog. That's what Ed, Ed is yes. asking me about. So that yeah. was the first question. Yeah, we've been calling. Well, she him was like over the moon happy with you guys right. for doing that, but she said, "No, what's the name?" Right. Nine-year-old bulldog uh, named Tyson. Maybe going back to Cosmo. We'll see. If he responds to either one, that's the name he'll get.